0: Well, my name's uh, Clayton Walker. I'm the pastor of Raider Church. I'm also the pastor of the City Church. Raider Church is our college ministry, and the City is a church we started uh, about a year ago. And uh, we modeled it a lot after Raider Church and what God's done here at Raider Church. And so, uh, we're so thankful for what God has done here over the years. And. Um, my wife and I have uh, this summer, we, we celebrated uh, 16 years of marriage and we've got three kids and, and for our anniversary, uh, we got to take three kids with us to the beach. And so uh, we went to the beach like many of you guys did uh, this summer. And uh, while we were there, uh, we took a, a family picture. I saw, I know many of you, you took, you know, your selfies and your group shots and all that kind of stuff while you were at the beach. We did the same thing, okay? We just did it with our family, all right? So we took this picture and we posted it on social media. Maybe some of you even saw it, like this picture of me and my, my family. We were all kind of dressed up nice for dinner that night. And, and, and so we took this picture and we all look happy. We all look like we're having a good time. Like if you saw it, you probably thought, oh, look, they're, they're so sweet. They love each other. They're on vacation together. They're having a great time together, you know, all that, but nothing could have been further from the truth. I mean, we were at the beach. Yeah. And we were having a great time. Yeah. But that was like the 10th picture. And don't act like you haven't done the same thing where you like take a hundred selfies and then you choose the one that you look the best in, right? I mean, you do the same thing as a family. Some of you probably took Christmas cards with or pictures with your family growing up and it took like a hundred pictures to get the one picture that you used on a Christmas card. Okay, same thing's true for my family. So I've got two boys and they're kind of pushing each other and nudging each other, you know, for position in this picture. And my youngest son, Coben, is up on this ledge that's kind of backed up to this garden that drops like three foot down into the ground and so they're kind of positioning and kind of giving each other shoulders and stuff. Well, sure enough, my oldest son knocks my youngest son off the ledge, into the garden, down into the bushes. He gets all scraped up. He's scratching. He's bleeding all over the place on his legs and his arms. But we're like, get up, get up. Stop crying. Wipe the blood off. We got to take this picture. Hurry. The waiter's getting, you know, he's getting tired of this. He's, he's getting annoyed. So get up, get back on the ledge. Let's take the picture. Smile. We take picture after picture. He's like, nope. You know, he's still wiping blood off. He's still upset. He's still got, tears in his eyes. You know, we're trying to get him to calm down and to smile so that we can take this family picture. So about the 10th try, we finally got it. But every picture leading up to that final picture, where we finally got all of us smiling. He was like this the whole time. He just had this mean look on his face. He was just mad because he was mad at his brother for pushing him off into this garden and scratching him all up. Now, why do I tell you that? Because if we're not careful, we let the social media highlight reel dictate our expectations of what our college experience might be. And I don't know about you. I think we're all probably guilty of this. Sometimes we compare other people's highlight reel like to our reality. And when our reality doesn't match up, match up to their highlight reel, we have unmet expectations. And that can be tough for some of us to deal with. Like, my guess is, if you're new to college, or even if you're not, you, you, your thoughts of what college are like come from a highlight reel, like whether you realize it or not. Like, you think that college might just be like the the rush pictures, and then the, the bid day pictures, and then the the football pictures, and, and then like the formal pictures, and then dancing at the club pictures, and then like spring break pictures, and then like, you know, your hot girl summer picture, you know, whatever. So you think it's just all those kinds of highlights, and then you repeat it over and over and over again. And if you're not careful, we let the highlight reel kind of dictate what our expectation is of college, how we think it's going to go. When my wife was a freshman here at Tech, she was walking to class one day and the sprinklers started going off all around her and it was just soaking her. And instead of like running and getting out of the sprinklers, she wanted to look cool and act like it didn't bother her. So she just kept walking. The sprinklers just kept hitting her, just all over, just soaking her because she didn't want to look like she didn't have it all together. So instead of like running and sprinting away from the sprinklers, she just let them keep hitting her. Like that looks like you have it more together than running away. I don't know, but... Then another day, okay, we had one of our torrential downpours that we'll have here sometimes, and you will see flash flooding, especially on university. It will turn into like a class four raging rapid, okay? So she's got sandals on one day. She walks up to university thinking she's just gonna walk through it. And sure enough, she steps in and one of her sandals just goes shooting down university. And instead of going after it, once again, she's thinking, I'm not gonna look like an idiot running and chasing my sandal down the river of university. I'm just gonna keep walking. And so she just walked to her car and let her sandal go. She just let it go. Like, let me ask you a question. Talking about like the, just the real college experience. Okay, here. Uh, h- how many of you have already been like late to a class? Anybody? Okay, a bunch, all right. Uh, what about how many of you, like you already feel like it's two days in, but you already feel like you're way behind. Like you already feel overwhelmed. You're, <laughs> every hand's up. Okay, how many of you, let me ask you this. Let's, let's be real, okay, let's just be honest, all right. How many of you have already skipped a class two days in? Oh, wow, I didn't expect that many. <laughs> we gotta We gotta pray for you guys. <laughs> You've already skipped a class two days into school. That, that's 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 uh, that's 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 real. That's real life. Okay, that's not the that's not the highlight reel. It's real life. And listen, sometimes thinking our experience is going to be nothing but the highlight reel can lead to unmet expectations. And when you actually start to deal with like real life, like real college life, and you start to struggle and you start to have times of of trouble or anxiety, pressure, you don't know how to deal because your expectation has been the highlight reel. And so in this series, we're going to talk about some real issues that you're probably going to deal with while you're here. Like while you're in college, chances are you're probably going to have some intense times of trouble. You're gonna deal with pressure and anxiety. You've already probably dealt with massive change. You've moved to a new place. You're living in a new place. You're sleeping in a new bed. You're eating different food. I mean, you're, everything is new. You have dealt some of you with massive change over this summer as you started school here. So what do we do? How do we deal with trouble? Trouble anxiety, depression. How how do we deal with the massive change that college can throw at us? Well, to do that over the next few weeks, we're gonna be looking at Psalm 46. So if you got a Bible, turn there, Psalm 46. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we'll have the verses for you on the screen here in just a second for you. But tonight we're gonna start out in Psalm 46, we're gonna be talking about the first thing I wish that I knew in college. The first thing I wish I'd been prepared for to deal with in college, and that's trouble. How do we deal with trouble when it comes our way? Because make no mistake, it will come your way. So what do we do? How do we prepare ourselves for maybe the trouble that's to come? Maybe some of you already say, man, I already feel overwhelmed. Like I already feel trouble all time around me? How do I deal with this? Because my reality, my experience isn't matching up to the highlight reel. So let's go. Psalm 46. If you don't have a Bible, uh, go to raiderchurch.com on your phone and you can follow along. There's message notes there. There's fill in the blanks there too. And uh, you can fill in the blank as we go uh, with the notes. That's a way to kind of actively participate. And as you fill in the blanks and you get done, you can email those notes to yourself too. So raiderchurch.com, select message notes, and you can follow along with us, the verses, the points, everything will be there for you. All right, Psalm 46, let's go. Verse one, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Now look at this verse with me for a second. Plenty of places in the scripture we see God saves us or he helps us or he keeps us from trouble. But here in Psalm 46 and many places throughout the scripture, we actually see that God doesn't always keep us from times of trouble. He helps us rather in times of trouble. And that's what Psalm 46 is saying here, that God is our refuge and strength in times of trouble. In other words, the psalmist is saying here, you should expect times of trouble. And when you go through times of trouble, you need to turn to God because God will be your help. I mean, Jesus said this. Jesus, the, the son of God, said this. You should expect to face many troubles and trials in this life. I mean, he was warning us, telling us, you will experience many troubles in this life. The great theologian, T. Swift, that's Taylor Swift, okay? She said this, I knew you were trouble when you walked in. So she's telling us too, you're gonna face trouble in this life. So what do we do? What do these verses tell us about God when we go through times of trouble? Because most of us, when we go through times of trouble, would say, God, where are you? Don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you care? Why am I I going through this? Do you not see what's going on in my life? life. So what do these verses tell us about God? Well, number one, Psalm 46 says God is our refuge. You could say it like this. He's our place of safety. God is our place of safety. David in 2 Samuel chapter 22, like King David, at the end of his life, after going through massive times of trouble, many times of trouble, like having a lunatic King Saul trying to kill him for the first part of his life or losing an infant child, going to war with the Philistines and many other armies over and over and over again. David experienced, King David experienced much trouble a lot of trouble in his life. And at the end of his life, after everything that he had been through, after all the troubles that he had seen and gone through in his life, here's what David said at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 22. You would think at this point in his life, he would be bitter. He would be angry after everything that he had been through, that he would have run from God during his trouble. But that's not the case at all. Watch what he says. 2 Samuel 22, verse two, David says this, the Lord is my rock my fortress and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me in my place of safety. He is my refuge, my savior, the one who saves me after everything that David had been through in his life. So much trouble, extreme loss, the the worst kind in losing a child after all the trouble that David had been through, he still said, I've been unshakably safe in my father's hands. Through it all, God has been my fortress, my shield, my rescuer, my protection. He's been my place of safety. You see, David knew he was unshakably safe in his father's hands. He wasn't feeling safe in his position as king. Many of us would think, well, David, surely you would have felt secure. You would have felt safe because of your position as king or because of all your immense wealth as being king, like you would have tons and tons of of, of money and, and power. And surely that's where David found his safety, his protection was in his position or in his money, in his power. And David said, no, 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 that's not where I find safety at all. None of those things make me feel safe. David said, "My place of safety is my God." And so you need to know tonight, no matter how much money you make, no matter how well you do in school, regardless of the, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, sorority, fraternity, I mean, any of those things, your place of safety will not be found in any of those places. Your place of safety, of unshakable safety, is only found in God. Money, power, relationships, those things can be gone in a second. But God never changes. And he can always be your place of safety. So these verses tell us that God is our place of safety in times of trouble. Secondly, this verse tells us that God is our strength. You could say it like this. He's our source of power. David's not saying, or rather the psalmist isn't saying here that my source of power is me or self-help or some book or some relationship. No, 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 that's not my source of power. My source of power, my strength comes from God. Paul said this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse eight. He said, three different times, I, I begged the Lord to take it away. What's, what is that? Well, he's referring to this thorn in his flesh that he continued to battle with. And he talked about it often, that he had this thorn in his flesh that he continued to, to deal with. And he says here in verse eight, three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Take away this thorn In my flesh. Now, scholars debate what this thorn was. Uh, Some think it was a physical ailment, like something wrong with his eye, or maybe even a speech impediment. You can imagine how insecure that would make a public speaker, a preacher like Paul. They think it could have been an emotional or mental issue that he continued to battle with all throughout his life. Paul regularly referred to the overwhelming burden of the churches that was on him and the preaching the gospel and the persecution that was so strong during this point in history that maybe this thorn was a, a mental or emotional issue that he continued to battle with all throughout his life. Some scholars say it was other people. It was the false prophets and teachers that continued to speak badly about him and talk about him behind his back. And so maybe it was people. And I think if we're honest, we, we've all had those kinds of thorns, right? Maybe a physical problem. Maybe a relational issue. Maybe a mental or emotional problem that we battle with. Paul said, I, I beg the Lord. Have you ever been there before? Verse eight, he says, I beg the Lord to take it away. And each time, watch what the Lord said to Paul in prayer. Each time God said, my grace is all you need. My power is all works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecution, and trouble that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong because Christ's power Fills me up and helps me in my time of trouble. In my weakness, God is my helper. He's my source of power. I don't find it myself, in another relationship, in money. Paul says, My source of power is the Lord. And Jesus said over and over and over again Paul said, I'm not taking it away. Have you ever wondered that? God, why aren't you taking this away? Why aren't you changing my situation? And the Lord said, I'm not taking it away. In other places, Paul wonders in his writings, he wonders that maybe God didn't take it away so that he would not become prideful, arrogant, and boastful. He said, maybe the Lord took it or wouldn't take it away so that I would remain humble before God and continue to seek him and continue to go to him. And see, listen, regardless of the trouble that you're going through, God will always use it to draw you to himself because God knows that's where life is best experienced in relationship with him. That's the way he's designed you to do this life is in relationship with God. And so God will do whatever it takes for you to experience your best. He wants you to experience his best in your life. And so he will do whatever it takes to bring you there. And sometimes that's using trouble to humble you and to draw you back to himself. Paul said, I begged the Lord to take it away, but he wouldn't take it away. So God is our place of safety. He's our source of power. So now how do we respond? This is who God is. So what do we do? How do we respond? Let's keep going. Psalm 46. Skip down to verse six. And it says this, the nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. You ever felt that? Maybe you feel that way even now. You feel the anxiety of the, the chaos and the amount of change that you've been through in a short period of time. The classes that you're taking. Maybe it's a financial stress. The psalmist says the nations are in chaos, their kingdoms are crumbling. Maybe you felt like things are crumbling around you. God's voice, watch this, in the middle of this, in the midst of this chaos and the crumbling, God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. Like God is here in the midst of the chaos and the crumbling, in the midst of the trouble. The psalmist says, God is here here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. So what is our response in times of trouble? What do we do? How do we respond to who God is as he's been revealed to us in this verse? What do we do? What's our response? Well, here's our response. Here's what Psalm 46 tells us to do when trouble strikes. When trouble strikes, be still and know. In the chaos and the crumbling When you're anxious, when things are changing all around you so fast, be still and know that I am God. Now, here's what this isn't. When the psalmist says, be still, what they're not saying is kind of center yourself clear your mind, empty your mind of everything and kind of center yourself, get to know yourself, harness your chi, do anything like that. That's not what Psalm 46 is saying here. This isn't like a still, like just emptying my mind of everything to center myself and get to know myself. That's not, that's not what they're saying here. They're saying be still and know, like know some things about God, like remember who God is. And these verses tell us many things that we should know and remember when we are still before God. Number one, we're to be still and know God's voice. He speaks. God wants to speak to you in your trouble, in your anxiety, in this time of change. God wants to speak to you. You know, the heavens and the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, all of it was put in place by the very word of God. God spoke and things that were not came into being. When Jesus was faced with a dead friend in Lazarus and and he says, Lazarus come forth. Lazarus comes out of the grave with the spoken word from Jesus. When Jesus is in the boat with the disciples and they're freaking out. They're scared because the storm has hit. The trouble has come. They're freaking out. They're scared. Jesus gets up and with one word, he silences the wind and the waves. This is the disciples freak out. They couldn't believe it. They're like, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey his word. When God speaks, things change and happen. And when you're going through a time of, trouble, God wants to speak to you. But here's the thing. God, God often speaks through a still small voice through a whisper. So if you want to hear from God in your time of trouble, it takes getting still and knowing, listening and hearing for God's voice. And you'll be amazed at how that one word from God will, will take your face that's down and it will lift it up. It will encourage you. That one word from God, whether it's through his word or in a worship song or or through another follower of Jesus, whatever it might be, when, when God gives you that word, when he speaks to you in your trouble, it will change everything in you. It may not change everything around you. Your situation, your circumstances might stay the same, but it will definitely change everything in you. God will always change your perspective and change your heart. When he speaks to you, when God speaks, things that don't exist come into being. When God speaks, things that are dead come to life. So the psalmist says, when trouble strikes, be still and know God's voice because he wants to speak to you. Number two, Psalm 46 tells us to be still and know God's presence. Did you see how many times it said in Psalm 46 that God is here, he's here with us. And did you know that's always been the heart of God is to be with his people? When you read through the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, we see God establishing this, this, this tabernacle that would then become the temple for the people of Israel. And the reason God says that he gives them the, the tabernacle and then later the, the temple is so that he could dwell among his people so he could be with them so that they could be his people and, and he could be their God. God wanted to be with his people. Then when Jesus comes in John 1, it says that Jesus left heaven and made the earth his dwelling. He took on flesh and made his dwelling amongst us because God wanted to be with his people. In fact, one of the names of Jesus, you might remember, is Emmanuel, which means God with us. His very name, Emmanuel, means God with us. That's always God's heart, is to be with you. Then Jesus, starts telling his disciples, hey, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna be crucified, Uh, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna be raised again on the third day and then I'm gonna go back to heaven at the right hand of the Father. And the disciples are freaking out. They're scared. They're like, no, 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 it's good for you to be with us. We want you here, like right here with us. And Jesus says this, no, no, you don't understand. It's better if I go. Because if I go and when I go, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's gonna come and indwell you and live inside of you. And so now I'm going to be with you by my spirit, through my spirit, living and dwelling in the life of every single follower of Jesus. In fact, Paul said, as a follower of Jesus, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You, as a follower of Jesus, you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is with you if you're a follower of Jesus. And that's always been his heart. In fact, I love this word picture in Greek of what it means for God to be with us. The idea in in Greek for God with us, the picture is of someone holding someone else's hand. Like that's the heart of God, to hold your hand through everything you go through, to be with you in your times of trouble, to hold your hand through it because he wants to be with you. That's the heart of God. So the psalmist says, in times of trouble, chaos, when everything feels like it's crumbling around you, in times of great change, be still and know God's presence. He's here, you're not alone. He wants to hold your hand through all of it. Third, we're to know God's sovereignty, which is just a big word that means he's in control. When we read these verses in Psalm 46, it says, come see the glorious works of God, like God's working and moving and all the, the chaos and the crumbling and the change. God's working and moving in it and through it. He's always working. Because he's sovereign, he's in control. Some of you know the story of Joseph and Joseph's brothers at the end of Genesis sell him into slavery. His brother sold him into slavery. So Joseph becomes a slave. Well, that ends up him being wrongly accused of something. He ends up going to prison. So now Joseph's in prison for something he didn't do. Well, because God's always moving and and working and because God's in control, Joseph goes from the prison to the palace. He goes from being a slave to being sovereign. He goes because he interprets this dream of Pharaoh with the power of God, with the help of God. He ends up becoming second in command of all of Egypt. So now he's in power. Well, a famine breaks out in Egypt. And people start coming to Egypt to get help, to get grain to help them because they're hungry. Well, sure enough, Joseph's brothers come. And they're standing before him to get help for grain because they're hungry, they're starving. And they're standing before Joseph and Joseph sees that it's his brothers. They don't quite realize it yet, but when they do come to realize that this is Joseph, our brother, they're scared to death. And rightfully so, because Joseph could have had them executed in a second. So Joseph's brothers are scared and they're backing up. They're afraid. And Joseph says this, watch this. After being sold into slavery by his brothers, after being thrown into prison for something he didn't do, After all of that, here's what he says. It's not you that sent me here. You didn't do this. He says, God sent me here. God did this. You didn't send me here. You didn't do this. God sent me here. God did this. Here's what Joseph was saying to his brothers. I'm not a victim of hopeless chance. I'm not a victim of hopeless chance. No, no, no. Quite the contrary. God has been sovereign in my suffering. He's got a bigger plan. He's got a greater purpose. And and then he says this, what you meant for evil, what the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. In other words, God turned it. God was working and moving and even used your violent, wicked, evil act of selling me into slavery. God used it and he turns it around because that's how huge and big and sovereign our God is. He can take something that's evil and turn it around and use it for our good. And for his glory. Joseph in Genesis 41 names his kids, his first kid, watch this. He names him Manasseh saying, God has made me forget. Then he names his second kid Ephraim. And he says, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. God was in control. He was sovereign in my suffering. And even in my time of trouble and affliction, God has made me fruitful. He's prospered me in spite of it. So Joseph was saying that God is sovereign in his suffering. And then fourth, finally, we're to be still and know God's glory. We're to be still and know God's glory. God said, In Psalm 46, I will be honored. I will be honored. In other words, what he's saying is I will be glorified. I will be seen as good for who I am. I am good and I will be honored as such, like through all the chaos and the crumbling, regardless of what's happened, I will be seen as good and I will be honored. He says among the nations. Peter said this in 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 12. He said this, watch. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you were going through. As if something strange were happening to you. Peter says, listen, trials and trouble are the norm. We tend to think because we see the highlight reel all the time, like on our phones every day, that trouble and trials are not the norm. That's strange, that's weird. Peter's saying here, Don't be surprised at the trials, at the trouble you going you're going through, as if that was strange. No, no, no. He's saying that's normal. It's normal to go through trials and trouble. He says this. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it is revealed to all the world. Here's what I think Peter's saying. You're going through trials. You're going through trouble, change, anxiety. And by God's grace, if if you could keep walking because he's your place of safety and he's your source of power and you just keep taking one step after the next and you keep going down that, that sidewalk, just taking one step after the next by God's grace and through his strength, you will be surprised to see that just around the corner is the glory of God. You can't see it yet. But just around the corner is the goodness of God. If you will continue to seek after God as your place of safety and as your source of power by God's grace and with his strength, you'll keep walking, you'll persevere. And just around the corner is my goodness, it's my glory. You could say it like this. Here's what what I think Peter's saying. If you're not seeing the glory yet, then God's not done yet. If you're not seeing the glory yet, then God's not done yet. In Romans eight, Paul says something similar. He says, God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Here's what Paul's not saying, it's all good. He's saying God works all things together for the good of those who love him. In other words, it may not start out as good, but when it, go through, when it goes through the hands of God, when it passes through the hands of God, it comes good. God turns it into good because he's sovereign in our suffering. He's in control. If you're not seeing the glory, then God's not done yet. Paul didn't base his belief on God being good on the outcome of his situation. He believed that whatever happened, whatever trouble, whatever trial, whatever suffering he went through, that ultimately God would turn it for good. So let's go back to Joseph for a second. Joseph has this dream. He thinks he's going to be in charge. He thinks he's going to be in command. But things don't go as he planned. They don't go as he saw them going. He saw the highlight reel, and things don't always go according to plan, like according to the highlight reel. They don't always go according to our expectations, and they didn't for Joseph either. He's sold into slavery, he goes to prison. But then God rescues him. He becomes second in command over all of Egypt. His brothers are standing before him, they're scared, they're afraid. Joseph says what you meant for evil, what the devil meant for evil, God meant for good, and he used it to save many lives, including you. And so he tells his brothers, don't, don't be afraid, don't be scared, don't run away. Watch this. He tells them, Come close, come here. And then he embraces them. The people that sinned against him, that sold him into slavery, his very own. Brothers, he says, come here, come close to me. The very thing that you did that that separated us, God used to save you and me, to save us all. So here's what Joseph was saying, and it should sound familiar to you. That your sin The worst, most evil sin you could possibly commit, God has used for your very salvation. Does it sound familiar? You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, it probably should because our sin that separated us from God that nailed Jesus to the cross. And make no mistake, your sin nailed Jesus to the cross just as much as the Romans or the Pharisees did. Your sin put Jesus on the cross. And your sin, the worst sin that anyone could ever commit, putting the Son of God to death on a cross, God used to save you and me. That's the power of God. That's the glory of God. He can take our sin, what we meant for evil, what the devil meant for evil, putting his son on a cross and he can use it for good. The salvation of you and and me. You see, the Bible says you've sinned, you've fallen short of God's standard to have a relationship with him and to go to heaven when you die. Every single one of us have. We've all fallen short of God's standard because it's absolute perfection. And the Bible says salvation's not a reward for the good things that we've done. In other words, you can't do better or try harder and be right with God. You can't do your best and be right with God. It's not good enough. The Bible says that none of us are good, no, not one. And not only that, the Bible says there's a fine for sin. You break man's law, you pay man's fine. You break God's law, you pay God's fine. And God's fine for sin is eternity separated from him in a place called hell. But God loves you so much that even while we were yet sinners, it says in Romans 5, 8, Jesus died for us in our place for our sin. And some of you are here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus. You've been thinking that if you were a good enough person or if you went to church enough times or maybe if you even showed up here tonight that maybe God would be understanding kind of of your sin and maybe he would let you into heaven. But the Bible says salvation's not a reward for the good things we've done. In other words, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And you're only forgiven of your sin, the Bible says in Romans 3, when you trust in Jesus' payment of your fine, when you give your life to Jesus, and when you give your life to Jesus, the Bible says your sin is totally forgiven, you're made right with God, and you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. You see, if you were to ask me, Clayton, are you 100% sure if you were to die tonight that you would go to heaven? And I would say 100% sure. You know why? Because it has nothing to do with anything that I've done or haven't done. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done for me on my behalf. So we believe we're saved by grace alone, God's grace, by our faith in Christ alone. There's nothing else that can save you. There's nothing else that'll make you right with God. So some of you are here tonight and you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time and know that you don't have to run from God. God is saying to you tonight, no, come to me, come close to me, come near to me and I will embrace you as a child if you will just trust in my son and come to me. Some of you are here tonight and you've been a follower of Jesus, but you've been away from God, you've strayed away. And tonight's the night you need to hear God saying to you again, as your father in heaven saying, come near, come close to me, stop running. Don't be afraid. Come near, come close to me. And you will find your great heavenly father with arms wide open, ready to embrace you and to receive you and to welcome you home once again. Because that's the love of God. He took your sin. what you meant for evil. And he saved you through it. That's the power. That's the glory of God. And so tonight, I want to invite you to give your life to Jesus for the first time or maybe to come back to him and say tonight, I'm Jesus, I'm running after you. I'm not going to run away. I'm going to run to you. And so here's what I want you to see tonight. Not only is God our help, our our refuge in times of trouble, but God is our refuge from trouble, from an eternal trouble. God has saved you from an eternal trouble in hell. Would you come to him tonight? Would you stop running? Would you run to him? Our team's gonna come and lead us in a time of worship. And as we do, uh, would you just stand right where you're at? And um, as you do, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? And I just wanna invite you to be still for a second. Just like Psalm 46 says, let's be still. It's just between you and God. Be still and know that he is God be still and know right now and ask God to speak to you. Say, God, would you speak to me? I need your help. I need a word from you. Maybe tonight, would you be still and know God's presence? Would you say, God, would you just make your presence very real to me right now? I need you right now. I need to feel like you're here with me holding my hand through it all be still and know his presence. Or maybe you need to be still and know the sovereignty of God that he's in control. And you'd say, God, would you help me to trust that you're in control and that you are working and moving and you are sovereign in my suffering. You've got a bigger plan. You've got a greater purpose. Would you help me to see it? Would you help me to trust it that you are sovereign in my suffering? Would you be still and know the glory of God and say, God, right now, would you help me to persevere, to take that next step? Because I believe your glory is just around the corner. And I trust that you're good. Psalm 59 verse 16 says this, but as for me, I will sing about your power. Each morning I will sing with joy about your unfailing love for you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I am in distress. So God, tonight we sing about your glory. We sing about your power because you are our place of safety. You are our source of power. And so as we sing, God, would we help? Would you help us to be still and know, know that you're in control, that you're good, that your glory's around the corner. God, would you help us to hear your voice right now as we sing?